For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. He's warning them that no one will lead them astray, but in the next breath, he tells them that he's happy that he has found them in a good state. But again, he's never met them. You can, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Did, pay close attention to verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. How does he know how they're doing? With you, if I titled it, titled the sermon, With You in Spirit. When you die, your spirit leaves your body. I know this is like not a deep message, but it's deep if you grew up believing all there is is this stuff. If all there is is this stuff, then when you die, you're dead. You're gone. Your consciousness ceases. The computer boots down and it's no longer operating. Right? But we Christians don't even have that basic worldview. We don't have the worldview that says that this matter is all there is. We believe that you are not this. You're more than this. For those of you listening on the podcast, I keep rubbing my fingers together. Do you remember in Luke 8.52 and... Jesus raises this little girl from the dead. I'm just going to read you this. See if you can pay attention to these simple things of worldview. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she's not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up. Have you been in the room and seen someone's spirit leave? It's weird. You can see the moment in their eyes. They're there and then they're not there. And we all then, we place them in a box right here and we all come through in a line and we greet the family and we all touch the body and the body's room temperature and it's so weird. And you know what? This, the fact, they're not here. They're not in the box. They're not in the body. They're not there. And her spirit returned... From where? Luke doesn't say. Now, if you're reading this and you're just an English major, you're thinking, oh, it's a metaphor. Oh, it's just a metaphor. What he means is her consciousness returned, that she woke up. That's what it's just a metaphor. Now, Luke's actually sharing his worldview with us. Her spirit had gone. Why? Because her body died. The spirit cannot remain with a dead body. It just doesn't operate that way. So it went. And Jesus took her by the hand and said, little girl, get up. 
child arise, and her spirit, wait a minute, what is happening? And then he said, uh, give her something to eat, which is I like a little detail I always like in this. Thanks, Jesus. Give her a cheese stick and some yogurt. And don't, not, don't make fun of people when they eat cheese sticks and yogurt. Adults, when they hear little kids being offered those things, when they're misbehaving in the afternoon and their blood sugar is flagged, and the little kids, are you hungry? Do you need a nap? Do you need a, do you need a juice box and a cheese stick? And all the adults, all the adults, not just Ant-Man, will say, do you have any of those things? Can I have one of those things? I just love how Jesus is not only, not only raising her from the dead, but look at his tender care and concern for how she's actually doing. He's like, she's been through a lot today. She, she, <laughs> she needs some blood sugar. She's had her nap. Like, this is... What's my point? Why am I bringing up this, this thing? There's a worldview here. And this little verse, this little, hey, I rejoice to see how y'all are doing. In, though I'm absent from you in the flesh, in the body, I'm present with you in the spirit. And I see how you're doing. And I'm like, I'm really grateful for what I'm finding. That there's a worldview thing that we kind of need to adjust to that it's possible to actually fellowship with people who aren't physically near you and gain accurate information about how they're doing via the spirit realm. Philippians 1.23 and 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says in both of these that it's better to be apart from the body and with the Lord. Apart from the body and with the Lord... So this is fascinating. Again, this is not really like, whoa, big stuff to the, like the first century church, they wouldn't have even, they'd been like, why are you talking about this in a sermon? Duh. Because they just knew we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And that we're in those, that's how it's supposed to be. God's intended reality for us is spirit, soul, and body. We are a triune being. God is a triune being. We're made in his image. At the resurrection, we'll be restored spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit right now, if we're born again, our spirit has perfect union with God. His spirit has taken up residence with, with our spirits, and, is, and our spirit now is perfectly righteous and alive. Before, we were actually spiritually dead. We didn't, we, our spirit was offline completely before we met Jesus. The Bible actually says our spirit was dead. That's fascinating. We also have a soul that's our emotional uh, center. It's our, it's our thinking. It's our feeling. It's our memories. It's our sort of, it's the very human part of us. The soul is like, almost like a person that you are charged to take care of. It's almost as if it's a separate person. We could have a whole sermon about that one, how to take good care of your soul. Again with that, okay. And you also have a body. But the Bible just takes this for granted. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You reside in a body. At the resurrection, you'll get a glorified body. Your soul will be completely healed and whole. And right now, your spirit is already healed and whole because you're in Christ. It's 100% righteous. And that's almost like, that's the part we're learning then to be led by. We're learning to be in touch with. We're learning to follow. We're learning to think according to and in alignment with. Your spirit in union with Jesus is where you hear God. 
It's, it's the thing that get, grants you access to the new desires, the new heart, the new nature. The whole new Christian life is lived. We used to live soul and spirit first when we, before we met Jesus, and it didn't lead to good outcomes. Now the whole Christian life is learning to live spirit first now that we're in union with Jesus. Who's with me so far? Jesus said, uh, surely I am with you always. He's about ready to physically go away. Post-resurrection, Matthew 28. I'm going to leave you guys, and the disciples are super sad. And then he says, I'm going to leave you physically, but it's good because I'm actually going to send you my Holy Spirit. He'll dwell within you. And surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you. How? In spirit. Now that's interesting. To us, I'm just saying, to us and to the disciples, that doesn't seem as good. And he seems to say, actually, it's better. Now, this is the part that I don't have clarity on, guys. I'm just going to share with you. I don't have the answer for how this works, but I have a theory. How is Paul able to access how they're doing via just prayer? I think that because he is endowed with the Spirit of God and because they are endowed with the same Spirit, that that their union with God through Jesus that they share in common has somehow, somehow plugged them into the same network. I'm using, back here I go again, Tom, using my technological metaphors because it's the best I have. They're, they're, they're connected to the same local area network. We used to have LAN parties back in college and it was all hardwired in. And if you were on the same server, you could play with no lag. Once you try to go on the net and you're on different servers, there's too much lag, there's, there's connectivity issues, and it's, and it's goofball, and it's just, you're going you're gonna to have a hard, it's not going to be fun. You know, one player will suddenly just be glitching and, and like out of sync with the rest. But something about him being linked into Jesus and them being linked into Jesus, I don't, I don't so much know that it's, that it's Paul saying that I am so powerful, that I astral projected my spirit out of my body and over down to, you know, to Colossae, and then I'm squatting, oh, aha, I see you down there. I think it's more like the Spirit of God is in them and the Spirit of God is in him. And as he's tuning into the Spirit in a place of prayer, what's on God's heart and what's on God's mind for them begins to kind of naturally start to come into his praying for them in a way that probably doesn't feel super spiritual. It probably doesn't feel high, like, oh, I'm hearing a word from the Lord now. It's it probably so natural and so normal that you and I would miss it and think it was just us thinking. But Paul's learned that his heart is led by the Spirit in ways that many people aren't realizing. We're linked in the Spirit. I, I, I'm intrigued with this thing. I, I, you know, part, part of me wishes that I had discovered this just one little verse early in the pandemic when everyone was shut up in their house and the only connection we had was Facebook and we didn't have physical touch and people were feeling completely insatiable and like, how do I connect? How do I reach out? This verse would have been extremely powerful. This reality, I should say, is extremely powerful. If you're someone who's like stuck in a wheelchair and you're like, I can never go do foreign missions. No, you can actually. You actually can. You can, you can visit the world in, via the spirit realm. You can actually visit foreign lands. You can visit people. You can sense how they're doing. You can see how they're doing and you can meet their needs by agreeing with God in prayer and God will actually release the things that you're saying over in your house. Uh, this is a fascinating reality. If you're aging and you no longer have the faculties you once had and you don't have the mobility you once had and you're thinking, I guess my ministry's over. No, it's not. 
Your greatest ministry, no matter what your age is, is prayer. Your greatest ministry is always prayer. The real work is always prayer. The reason any real work gets done in the world physically is because somebody's doing work in the heavenly realm first. That's what paves the way and actually opens doors. That's what brings the the burden of the Lord, the the heart of God into human hearts so that their mindsets take on the willingness to sacrifice and to endure to make it worth expressing love in in the real world. John Wesley said, no one works unless someone prays. And you you can flip that and turn it into a rule. Oh, as long as we got somebody working, we need to always have someone praying. I think it's, it's, it's not so much no one should work unless someone is praying. No, no, no. It's saying... The reason, someone, the reason someone is all of a sudden filled with enough hope in a, in a world like ours, the reason someone is able to li- get lifted out of the fog of cynicism in a broken world like this one, do you, know how much, do you know how hard it is to lift someone out of the fog of cynicism in a broken world like this one to even care enough to take action and say, you know what, it's worth trying. In a world that's as fallen as this one with people as messed up as we are, you look around and you go, why try? But somebody somewhere is praying, and because of that, the fog is lifted, and you get a vision of hope, and you get a vision of purpose, and you start to take steps forward. It's really foolish then to think, I am, I, you know, I'm just really smart, that's why I see this. When I met Jesus, I knew it wasn't because I was smart. I was searching for God, but I was searching for God, why? Because people were praying for me, and God was seeking me. And I wasn't dumb enough to take credit for me discovering and finding him. In fact, I was like, I was shocked. I was shocked he would accept someone like me. I was, I was shocked, that I, shocked that I could find And to me, it was like as simple as this. Look, if God loves me, he, he has to obviously love everyone else. Because I don't know anyone worse than me, and I don't know anyone worse off than me. That's a really good point, Bunny. And let me clarify what I mean by what I'm saying. I'm not saying I'm not worth the blood of Jesus. I'm saying I know how jacked up and upside down and selfish and broken my motivations were, and yet it didn't stop him from pursuing me. And and, and my dullness of heart and blindness of spirit didn't, didn't keep me from being able to see his love. So if he can reach me, I guarantee you he can reach you. And if he can love me, I guarantee you he can love you. And then I find out all these people have been praying for me. People that, some of them I knew, but a lot of them I didn't know. Some of them had been checking in on me via the Spirit, and they had like little, they'd been woken up by their Spirit going, and they'd be praying for me. One time, my mom woke up in the middle of the night and knew where I was physically in the world and who I was with and what I was doing. And she came and got me. And I was like, how does she know? How did she know where I was and who I was with? It's not, it was not fun. It was not a fun night. Not a fun night. Okay, so Paul says, I've been checking on you guys in prayer, and I'm really happy with how I'm finding you. Well, that is just, come on, guys, that's just really interesting. How did he check on them? Just by praying for them. That's all. He's, he's, he's linked to them in the Spirit as he prays for them. So as, summarize the whole sermon in one sentence. As he prays for the Colossians, he gets impressions about their state about the condition that they're in, and he believes that the impressions he gets as he prays for them are in some ways reliable sources of data.
there's an idea called the communion of saints. How many have ever heard the phrase communion of saints? If you've ever heard the Apostles' Creed, it's one of the things we affirm. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. Listen, just hear me. As we come to worship, this is what we're entering into. Maybe if it would help for you to close your eyes and picture this. As you come to worship, this is what you are joining. We're talking about communion of saints. But you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. That's interesting. You've come to God, the judge of all. You have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As we come to worship, we're joining angels, we're joining saints, and then it's, it's, but it clarifies, we're joining the spirits of all the righteous who've ever lived made perfect. Amen. Why clarify the church twice in the same verse? You see that? To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, and then God, and then the spirits of the righteous made perfect? Could it be that in the first instance, instance he's talking about the church all over the world? And then the second instance, he's talking about all the saints who've ever lived in heaven. All of them. We're joining them. That's how I read it. So the communion of saints is the idea that when you meet Jesus, when you, when you say your big yes to Jesus and his spirit comes and makes you a new person and gives you a new heart, connects you to God, instantaneously you, are been, you have been connected to every other saint who exists, including those who are in the Lord and who've been, who you've never met from all the ages past. I really love the aspen tree. The aspen tree is one of my favorite trees. I sat there at a doctor's visit with one of my kids recently, Googling all that I could learn about the aspen tree because there was a picture on the wall of a quaking aspen. Aspen are interesting. They share a root system with all the other trees around them. They share a root system. Think about that. The individual aspen only lives to only maybe between 100 and 130 years old. But there's an aspen grove in the, over out in the Rocky Mountains in our country. And it's got, they call it Pando. They, they've given this grove a name, Pando. They think it's 13,000 years old. 13,000 years old, and it's all the aspen trees in this massive area sharing a root system. It's the oldest living creature, they call it, the oldest biomass. It's also the heaviest if you weigh how much it weighs. They're such cool trees, and they have white bark, which is really pretty, and then their leaves turn that incredible yellow, and then they just kind of... Do this little crinkly sound as they kind of wobble back and forth. You, have you ever been in an aspen grove and just listened with your eyes closed? It's crazy. What if the church, as the body of Christ, shares a root system? Who's tracking with me? Shares a root system 
draws life from the same source, but in some way that you and I haven't really been made aware of, heard much teaching about, haven't really maybe recognized yet, we actually are one unit with every other believer on planet Earth and every other saint who's ever lived and whose spirit is no longer in a body but still is intimately connected with us in some way so that when the author of Hebrews says, you didn't come to that mountain, you came to this mountain, you're actually coming in union with every other saint. I read of an Orthodox priest who was in the middle of casting a demon out of somebody and he was using their little country chapel to do it. And as they got closer to the time when, of the time of day when the other monks were going to gather to worship and pray and read scripture and sing, the demon became more and more agitated. Finally, it said, I got to go because the saints are about to gather to worship. And the guy was like, yeah, I know. I know what time it is. The bells are starting to ring. And the demon was like, no, you don't know. And the guy said, yeah, I know. The monks always gather at these hours. The bells are ringing. The monks are coming. And he goes, no, you don't know. The demon was talking about the saints of old who still come to worship when the bells ring, who come to worship with the saints on earth. Fascinating. That priest never looked at the phrase, the communion of saints, the same after that. And he never looked at worship the same after that. As we worship on earth, we enter a realm of union with what's happening in heaven. See, we think of heaven as far away, physically somewhere else from here. But it's not in a different location. It's in a different dimension. It's not way over there. It's right here, but out of phase with here. Can we say it that way? So when we say on earth as it is in heaven... We're asking for this physical realm to, to, to get in sync with, in phase with, the spirit realm. Well, specifically, the holy, the good, the light spirit realm, because there's a dark spirit realm. Let me show you an example of, of this, the, the brightest example of this I've ever heard. And just to warn you, this story's weird, but I believe it. Mary of Agreda was a Spanish nun whose passion was intercession. Each day she would enter her prayer cell where she would plead for the souls of native peoples of the American Southwest. She was Spanish, by the way. She was in Spain. So each day she would plead for the souls of the native people of the American Southwest. So great was her burden for these aboriginal people that God took note. And in her spirit, stay with me, in her spirit, she would go to what now we call Texas and New Mexico. And she would meet various tribes there talking about Jesus to those who had never heard of him before. Meanwhile, reports began to come to Fray Alonzo de Benavides, father custodian of New Mexico. So, over here, on the ground, in those areas, a Catholic missionary priest starts to hear reports. And he hears these reports of a woman in blue, a woman dressed in blue, who would miraculously appear to First Nations peoples, proclaiming to them the kingdom of God. So he decided to get to the bottom of this, and he tracked down 
Maria de, de Jesus. Maria de Jesus. How do you, I'll say it in English. Maria of Jesus. There we go. That's easier. Now, by this time, she was Mother Superior of St. Clair in Agrada. In other words, Mary. She admitted, oh, yeah, it's me. I'm the woman in blue. So this guy comes all the way from America back to Spain to figure out who, who's, who's sharing Jesus with all my native peoples that I'm trying to reach. Who's doing this? Get a lot of reports of a woman in blue. So he goes back to Europe to figure out who did it. She's fesses up. Yeah, it was me. He crosses the Atlantic to investigate. She was able to describe the clothing and the customs of specific tribes by name and identify specific individuals in each tribe. You like that? When he asked her where she learned to speak all of these languages, because they all spoke different languages, she said, I didn't. I just spoke to them, and God let us understand each other. Mary of Agreda allegedly experienced over 500 of these prayer trips over the course of a decade while never once physically leaving the four walls of her convent in Spain. In Acts chapter 16, we read of Paul having a vision in the middle of the night. Acts 16 verse 9 says, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. I've always read that verse like a, like, like a, like a metaphor. Like God uh, came up with a fictional, symbolic, fake person to communicate with Paul. But after reading about Mary of Agreda this week, I, I think differently now. I now think that someone in Macedonia was seeking God. And God connected his spirit with Paul. The realm of the spirit is real, and with our modern scientific worldview that influences us, even Christians, so strongly, it's very common and natural for us to view everything, the kind of things I'm talking about this morning, as fairy tales and just weirdness. And if we've experienced these kinds of things, we almost want to keep it quiet because we'd be embarrassed that somebody would disbelieve it or maybe find it foolish. And so we just keep these kind of stories to ourselves, even if we've experienced them. I think that would be a great mistake. And I think it would be a great mistake to not realize what an opportunity to help and to, to, to be a part of the good in the world. We'd be forsaking Practical things to look for as, as, as we're going to conclusions here. When, someone, you, when you find that someone is in persistently just in your thoughts throughout the week, like you just, they keep coming into your thoughts, or even, even if you don't feel a particularly strong emotional sense about it, and even if it doesn't strike you as overly spiritual, what if this week you would take, take this as a prompting from the Lord and just lift them up to God in prayer. Bless them. Talk to God about them. Ask Him to strengthen them, to comfort them, to guide them, to help them. If this little thesis is correct, the thesis being this, that we're connected via the Spirit in ways much more than we know, 
then these little thoughts of people throughout the week might be much more than just randomly thinking of a person. It might be the Spirit of God inside of you already praying. And your amen, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but your amen in agreement with what God is saying seems to release grace into the world. Here's a little caution. As, as, there's a caution. We have to be very humble about the insights that, that we think we've gained about someone else in prayer. Very humble. The Holy Spirit is never going to give us information about another person so we can judge them. He's never going to give us information about another person so that we can be in the know and concerned. Any information he gives us via, the, via prayer like this is so that we can love them, so that we can support them. We need to learn to distinguish between low-level so-called discernment and high-level um, spirituality, which is love. Low-level discernment is able to sense what's going on in, in, in this realm, but high-level prophetic discernment is saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I see that, but Father, what do you want done? Discernment of what's going on on earth is not... Is, Pagans can do that. Psychics can do that. That's not prophetic. Prophetic is when you see what you want, what, what's happening in the spirit realm, and then you can actually feel and sense God's heart, the Father's heart, what he wants done about it. You know, we got people who with, with discernment, we have, with low-level spiritual gifts, thinking that they're very spiritual, telling other people what's wrong with them and judging other people out of touch with the deep maturity of what the Father wants done. Uh, I've had people come to me and tell me that I'm in sin or that there's something wrong based on what they think they've been sensing about me in prayer. And it, and it was their own issues. It was their own insecurities. Their own uh, judgments kind of got tangled up in the signal and distorted things. But on the positive, I've also had people reveal to me that they've been praying for me. And when I press and I ask what they've been praying, it's like, oh, my word, so on point. I'm sure I've told you this before, but one of my friends mentioned she'd been praying for me, and I said, I'd be really curious to see what you're praying for me, because I have this feeling that you really don't need to try to prophesy over people. Just pray for them and love on them, and don't try to be all spiritual, but just pray and mean it, and, and you can trust that the Holy Spirit will be leading your heart, because you're in union with God. You're much more spiritual than you think you are, and if you have to try hard to be spiritual, it's, you're doing it wrong. In fact, the more we try, the more we tend to get in our way and trip over our feet. But I said, what have you been praying for me? And she sent me like a month of scriptures. She'd been praying for me every day, specific scriptures, and she could show me the scripture she prayed on the given day. And I thought, man, if I could cross-reference my journal entries with her, and she wasn't even going to tell me any of this. None of this had to do with earning my love or winning me over. I'm the one who asked her. She wouldn't have given me any of this detail if I hadn't asked her. This is a woman who's journaling scriptures for me as she's thinking of me. Scriptures are coming and she's praying them over me. Man, I'm telling you, that boosted me so much. It's like I didn't even know I had, I had this warrior who lives out in Kansas just kicking butt and taking names and putting grace on my life. Checking in on me in the spirit realm and seeing what she finds and praying as a, not to judge me, not to fix me, just to love on me. Doesn't that make you just want to cry when, people, when you find out that people love you that much? Makes you want to cry. Final sentence. We can absolutely change the world by God's grace just by praying 
So we're never retired from ministry. We're never retired from missions. We're never powerless to help. And we're never as far away as we might feel.